Would you pray with me as we open up the word and look at it this morning? Lord, we need you. Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do, that you would come and you would seek and save that which is lost. Thank you that you are a good God that does that. Thank you that through uh, your word, God, you want to make inroads and you want to um, change and shape and mold us, your church, that you wanna shake us out of our routines and you want us to hear the story of the good news of the gospel with fresh ears and eyes and an open heart. Um, in the days, weeks, months, and even years ahead, Lord, that we may see you afresh and live for you in a profound way. In Christ's name, amen. Well, uh, this week and next week, we are going to be opening up, as we just heard, we're gonna be looking at two very disruptive babies, right? These are birth accounts, they're birth announcements. We're gonna be looking at two very disruptive babies in the history uh, uh, of planet Earth. Now, you may think if you're a young mom in here, you can relate to this. I've, like, I've got a very disruptive baby, that's why I dropped them off in the back, right? This is different. These are very disruptive babies in a whole different way. We're gonna read about and hear about and walk through the announcement of John, the announcement of Jesus, and all the things surrounding these events. And we're gonna read about it in these opening chapters as Luke, if you imagine, as he's writing this gospel, it's, he gave the introduction, he kind of talked about why he's writing it. And then Luke's gonna go to the, the background and he's gonna start telling us this wonderful narrative. It's like the curtains are opening and the story is beginning. And here we start this story and Luke does this beautiful job of laying these two birth announcements side by side next to each other in this excellent, amazing way. So we have in the story, in the opening first scene of the gospel of Luke, we have two cousins to be born. We have two announcements. We have two pregnancies. We have two deliveries we read about. We have two hymns of praise from the parents. We have in these opening chapters uh, the backdrop uh, of Jesus' arrival and his crazy cousin John, who's talked about here. Right? John the Baptist, as we often call him. Uh, he's known as the forerunner. John the Baptist, the forerunner. My wife and I started car shopping. We've got really old cars. So he's, no, it's not Toyota forerunner. Like, I don't understand. That's the best pastor joke I got. I got, didn't get one laugh. No one even tried to laugh. I like thought I would slide that in there. It's gonna, okay. Uh, the forerunner, he's the announcer. He's the one that's going to announce the arrival of the Messiah. Um, and he's also not a Baptist. Although Baptists love to claim him because Baptists love to claim and count everyone. That's another passage. That gotcha. You must've been a Baptist. Yep. Yeah. That got, that usually gets the Baptists. So he's not a Baptist and he's not a Toyota. He is the forerunner and he is the one that's come to baptize those because his message that he's coming with, uh, that we will learn about is one of repentance. Um, so he's the baptizer. He is the witness. He is a prophet he is the one who would announce that the, the Messiah is here. He would go before him. That's why he's called the forerunner. He is the pointer to the Lord Jesus. And a lot of people wonder why Luke spends so much time on John. Why doesn't he just, like the other gospel writers, just get to Jesus a little bit faster? 
because this account isn't in the other gospel accounts. And I think because John plays a significant, very important role that he wants us to see, and his role was the fulfillment of prophecy. It was the fulfillment uh, of the prophets that had uh, spoken that there was one to come in the spirit of Elijah, and he would prepare the way of the Lord as the, the Messiah would come and there was one that was going to prepare the way and announce the Messiah coming. And John is the fulfillment of this prophecy. He's going to be um, the forerunner, the announcer. It's similar today to, you know, it's like uh, announcing a, a boxing match or a fighting match. It, it's, the spotlight isn't about the announcer but this guy gets, the announcer gets up and he talks about those who are coming and preparing to do this thing that we, everyone's there to witness. Or it's uh, w- when the president of the United States is about to speak, someone comes out and says, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States. And it's all about the president coming out and the message that the president has. That's the same role that John the Baptist has for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was prophesied that way, that there was gonna come one that would prepare the way and ready the people's hearts so that the people, when the Messiah walked on the scene, would be ready to embrace their savior. And that's John's role. And here we have the announcement of this one. And so John comes on the scene and even the prophecy about John coming on the scene, his entire life is meant to point to another. He's the witness of Jesus Christ. He's the one that says, ladies and gentlemen, the lamb of God, behold him, the one who will take away the sins of the world. Embrace him. He's, he, it's, it's not fix your attention on me, I'm a witness of Jesus Christ. And in that regard, church, I think there's something for us to learn. He has the same role that you and I have. No, we're not prophets. No, we aren't the, coming in the spirit of Elijah like John the Baptist Uh, was here. You know, we're not the the fulfillment of this, but our role is also the herald to the good news of the gospel. John was there to prepare the way to, to point people to Jesus and him coming on the scene. And church, you and I are in the same position. We are to live our lives pointing to our Lord Jesus Christ. We just sang about his faithfulness, his goodness to us, all that he's done in our lives. We're to sing about it. We're to talk about it, not to point people to our goodness, but the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. Um, we're to do the same. Um, So John here plays a very important role um, in these opening chapters. And in all of this that's happening, we're meant to begin to see that we can trust God at his word, that his promises will come true, that his promises will be fulfilled. And it shows us something else as we walk through the Gospel of Luke, as we just heard the story read, it shows us that our God delights to work in impossible situations, doesn't it? That our God delights to work in the midst of impossible situations. We read about the birth of a child from a lady who is barren. We're gonna read next week about a birth of a child of a lady who's a virgin. And at the end of verse 37, when we get to it uh, next week, we are all to walk away with uh, this sentiment. 
that with God, nothing shall be impossible. He loves to work in impossible situations. And that is the God that we gather every Sunday to make a big deal about. That is the God that we gather to sing about, to sing songs about, to celebrate because God intervenes in the very hopeless situations in the darkest of times when it seems like there is no light and he comes and brings a great light and he shines it beautifully on his people. Um, And it brings about goodness and beauty And it's all for his glory. And we as a church, that's what we do. We gather and we sing and we praise God for all that he's done. So let's take a look at this a little bit more in depthly here. And let me set a backdrop real quick so that we can really really grasp all that's happening here. As we pick up in the story, the curtains open. Uh, Luke begins telling the story that we just heard about Zechariah and Elizabeth and John coming on the scene and this child to be born as the forerunner. It's been 400 years of silence. No prophecy has come. God has not sent a prophet to his people. The church uh, or the, the, God's people in the temple were waiting. They showed up. They were bringing sacrifices. It's been 400 years of waiting to hear from the Lord. What is the Lord doing? How is he moving? Where is he leading? What is he, what's happening? 400 years, no prophecy, no voice from the Lord. And here the story opens and we have this faithful, godly couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, in the temple doing their Uh, Zechariah doing his priestly duty in the temple. But the backdrop is 400 years of no prophecy. And Luke, the good historian, uh, gives us uh, the times that these are happening in the days of Herod. It would have been near the end of Herod's reign. We're given some details about Zechariah and his role as a priest. We're given some details about his wife, Elizabeth. Uh, We read uh, of their character in verse six, that they're both righteous and blameless. This couple, they're righteous and they're blameless. It doesn't say they're sinless, But Luke wants us to know this is a godly, pious, righteous couple. They they seek to honor the Lord together, that their marriage would reflect and honor the Lord. And then we also read in verse seven of their grief. They're barren. Uh, They have no child uh, because Elizabeth was barren and they're both advanced in years. We hear that. I was talking about that with someone last week and then I dug into it a little bit. A lot of times we hear that they're advanced in years. Do we, like, are they 80 years old? Are they 90 years? How, what, what does that mean? Uh, I think uh, probably in the first century, this is, the, many scholars believe this would have put them in their, uh, between late 40s and late 50s, somewhere around there. Life expectancy was not as long as it is today. Um, Child rearing would have happened much younger. And so they were most likely I don't know, let's call them in their 50s, Uh, even with life expectancy. They had desired a child and it had not happened for them. Um, And so the point is they never thought that God would give them a child. But something was about to happen to this couple. Um, And for anyone that has had that desire and that has walked through infertility, you can identify with Elizabeth's grief in this opening scene in Luke chapter one. Um, 
And this is how it begins. This is the tone of how it begins. And it's wonderful because what we have is we have hope and we have struggle at the very beginning. We have uh, longing for the Messiah to come in the temple, faithful, godly couple. And we have grief. And we have trials. And we have uh, unmet and unfulfilled what they thought their life would be in the midst of uh, someone trying to live a faithful and godly life. This is the beginning of Luke's gospel. To me, it's so human, it's so real. It just paints this beautiful picture of what many of us walk through in our lives. Trial and grief in the midst of holding on to hope. Holding on to hope. See, I bet Zechariah and Elizabeth probably had doubts about the goodness of God. Uh, in Hebrew culture, it was even worse. Uh, it was intensified, this, uh, this idea of being barren. It was considered a disgrace, which is why at the end of the story, Elizabeth said, the Lord has taken away my disgrace in verse 24. The Lord, the Lord showed up, he took away my disgrace. Some viewed it as punishment, but that wasn't the case here. Luke wants us to know right up front. He wants us to put this to bed. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not some sin. It's not something that God is withholding because of their unfaithfulness or their, uh, their sinfulness. It says right at the beginning, they're righteous, godly person. She wasn't suffering and in grief because of their sin. Sometimes that does happen. Sometimes we suffer and we have grief because of our sin, that, but that's not not what's happening here with Zechariah and Elizabeth. God wasn't punishing her. It tells us at the very get-go, she was a godly woman. And what God was about to do was actually a miracle. And he would give them a child who would prepare the way for the Messiah that they were hoping in, that they were hoping for. But yet here we find them in the opening disappointed. Um, and I think that's a good reminder for us here this morning, church, that yes, you can be godly. Yes, you can be living for the Lord. Yes, you can be pursuing the Lord. Yes, you can show up and be present and long to hear from the Lord and still experience grief and still encounter deep disappointment. Um, God never guarantees that we won't have hurt and grief but the question is, and the question I think that we encounter here in this opening scene of Zechariah and Elizabeth is how are we going to respond in the midst of it? Do we still hold on to hope? And the question I think all, for all of us is how do we glorify God even in the midst of our grief? How do we still cling to the hope that we have and how do we glorify God even in the midst of our trial? And that's a hard question when you're walking through that trial. And then as we go on in the narrative, we see the angel Gabriel appear. Gabriel uh, appears elsewhere in the book of Daniel as he's announcing Messiah. And he appears again here to Zacharias. Uh, <coughs> and uh, he's called later, uh, the, the, the angel is named later. 
uh, but he picks, God picks the most significant time in Zechariah's life to reveal his purposes. And in verse 10, we read about this. It's the priestly duty that he was, that he was tasked with. He was a, he was a member uh, uh, of the house of God. The, uh, the commentators, scholars believe is this is the, the, this division of priests, which would have been about 18,000 priests. And according to the Mishnah, uh, this priest, this role, this job of offering the incense offering was only done one time in the life of the priest. So you were selected out of these 18,000 priests who served in the temple and served God. This would have been a huge moment and a huge honor in his life to be selected to go into the temple to light the altar of incense, which represented the prayers of God's people rising as they were praying for the redemption of their people, that Messiah would come and save them and rescue them. They would also have prayed for their forgiveness of sins and so Zechariah is chosen for this task the one time in his life that he walks in and he's able to perform this priestly task. Some were never invited to do this. It wasn't like a guaranteed thing. So this would have been this monumental moment in his life, this important time. And imagine he's praying for his people He's praying that God would show up. He's praying for the redemption of his people. He may have even been praying for him and Elizabeth and this child that they desired, that they had hoped that God might give to them. And he's praying for all of these things. And the incense are rising, symbolizing the prayers going up to the Lord. And then in verse 11, the angel appears to him while he is offering up this prayer of incense. And just like in all the other accounts in scripture, when an angel shows up to a human, uh, they're free, they, they freak out, right? They, they're terrified, like I think we all would be. An angel shows up, you just sort of hit the ground and you're terrified, you're like, what's about to happen to me? And the same thing, he's scared to death. Verse 12, he's overwhelmed by the appearance of the angel. Um, And just like we see when Gabriel appears in Daniel, the last time we read about him appearing, the angel assures Zechariah that his prayer has been heard. Uh, So he's praying for salvation. He's praying for Messiah to come. He might be praying for this child, all, all these things that he may be lifting up to God. And an angel appears and says, your prayer has been heard. Your prayers have been answered. Um, And now we begin to read about the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of this child that's to come. And God is showing us here with the angel showing up, appearing to Zechariah, that this 400 years of silence, of no prophecy, of no voice from the Lord that they had been waiting on, prophecy shows back up right here at the opening curtain, the opening scene in the gospel of Luke. And the voice of God through the angel Gabriel busts onto the scene in redemptive Uh, history and longings and the voice of God shows up in this wonderful way and breaks the silence. And throughout redemptive history, uh, if you look and do a a sweep of the scriptures, uh, God often works through women who are barren and God 
overcoming that. We see in intervening in these impossible situations. We see it in Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, Hannah, Ruth, Manoah's wife, and now Zechariah here in this text. All showing God is on the move. God will fulfill his promises in impossible situations. He is moving. God is up to something. And then we're given verses 14 to 17, and we get an outline of um, the ministry of John, of John the Baptist. Verse 14 says a little bit about what's gonna happen. Verse 14 says, he's gonna bring joy to his parents and to others. He brings joy just reading about him as we encounter John. He's one of the most fascinating figures in all of the scriptures. We have uh, this wild John the Baptist. He's eaten bugs. He's eaten honey in the wilderness. He wears strange things, right? He's just, he's going to bring joy. His life will bring joy to his parents and his life will bring joy to those that are around him. And he will be great before the Lord, verse 15. He's going to live a very obscure lifestyle the prophet will tell his father. He's gonna abstain from strong drink, meaning that he is gonna be consecrated, he is gonna be set apart, he is gonna be holy because he has a holy purpose and his purpose is to announce the savior. And then in verse 15, the angel goes on and tells us that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb. Now there's a lot there that we could say just going through the ministry of John and all that was just stated. But let's start with the work of the Spirit. We're gonna encounter as Luke writes this grand story of redemption, the gospel. We're gonna encounter Luke as he's gonna talk about the work of the Spirit. And it starts right here out of the gate. Gabriel says that this child will be filled with the Holy Spirit from the mother's womb. This child will be set apart. This child will be filled for service. That word filled is used almost exclusively uh, by Luke in this gospel in the New Testament. Um, and every time, almost every time that that word is used, uh, that word filling of the spirit usually results in some kind of speaking, some kind of preaching, some kind of proclamation about who God is, uh, what God is like, and the movement of God. And so here, John is gonna be filled with the spirit, and this filling is gonna pour out, out of him through the proclamation of something wonderful. So he's gonna be some kind of preacher. He's gonna be a teacher. He's gonna be a herald. He's gonna be a prophet. He's gonna be a witness. And he's not gonna do it on his own strength. He's not gonna do it because he's just gifted at speaking out loud. In fact, he looks weird. He eats weird things. He's, you know, he's doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But people are drawn to him because the spirit is at work within him. God is on the move. And it's going to be through divine enablement, not by his own power and not by his own working. And it's also uh, notable here that um, this filling happens in the womb, that God sees this child in the womb as a person. God doesn't just fill things with his spirit. He fills people. He fills people, even in the womb. And it's remarkable when you read Luke chapters one and two, the work of redemption, church, starts in the womb. 
in the womb. John the Baptist in a womb. Jesus in a womb. And so John is gonna be a person set apart in the womb, filled with the spirit, and he has this huge role that he's gonna play. In verse 16, he is going to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord because John has one message. Um, he has one message. If John were the pastor here, he would have one message. And uh, you would all be like, hey, you think you can mix it up a little bit here, John? It's kind of getting a little stale. It's like the same, repent. Repent, repent, repent. That's what he called. He's calling the children of Israel to repentance, to turn and repent. He's calling them to turn to the Lord, to ready their hearts for what's about to happen. Turn your hearts toward the Lord. Turn yourself to the Lord. Repent of all these other distractions, all these other things that you're running after that you think will bring you joy and bring you. He's, he's, he's turning all the children of Israel Repent, repent, get ready for what God is about to do. Turn your hearts. And he's coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah in that prophetic tradition. See, the, the Israelites, they were waiting for Elijah to come. There was, there was a hope that Elijah or one like him would come back, this prophet that would come back and call their people back. And even at the Passover meal, there's some uh, historic evidence or some traditional evidence there that they left an empty chair at the Passover meal. And uh, many believe it's the Elijah chair, that he might fill that chair. He might appear come, to come back as God's prophet and the, the word of God would come forth. And so John fills this prophetic role. He shows up. And one of the things he's gonna do is he's gonna bring reconciliation to people that they would turn from all the things that they were focusing on and they would, uh, they would reconcile in their hearts that God is about to do something. That they would prepare their hearts, that they would prepare the way, that he was preparing the way of the Lord and, and that their hearts would repent and get ready to embrace the Messiah and the Savior so that when Jesus walks on the scene, they wouldn't embrace John, they would embrace Jesus, our Lord. They would embrace their Savior. It goes on to say that he is going to turn the hearts of fathers to children and disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Verse 17. So Zechariah got an outline of John's ministry. Quite a day for old Zechariah, huh? This moment he had, he got to light the incense. Angel Gabriel shows up, tells him exactly what this child that they've been longing for, that they could not have is gonna be like, the ministry that he's gonna fulfill, the ministry that this child would have. Gabriel shows up, he says, I'm, gonna, I'm bringing redemption, I'm also bringing you a son. This amazing moment in Zechariah's life. How would you respond if that happened? If the angel showed up and all the things you've been praying for, all the things you've been longing for and hoping in and praying for uh, your community and your faith family and an angel shows up and says, I'm gonna do both. Here's how it's gonna happen. Here's what it's gonna look like. Here's what it's gonna mean. And here's exactly what is going to take place. I mean, you would just be like, 
thank you, right? You'd like, I don't know if you can hug an angel or if you'll die, I don't know. Like, I don't know, you would, I don't know if you just like, just keep saying thank you. You would just be overjoyed, I would imagine. What's Zechariah's response? Spoiler alert, not good. Uh, Zechariah shows us how not to respond to an angel. So if this happens to you, learn from this moment right here, all right? Um, when the angel comes on the scene, Zechariah, he says to the angel, well, how shall I know this? How shall I know this is gonna happen? So he questions him. And it's like, well, what do you mean, how should you know? I'm here, like, isn't this enough? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't you think it's like, I'm, an, I'm the angel Gabriel, and that's essentially like what he says. He's like, I've been sent by God. I'm the angel Gabriel. He's like, uh, he's like the proof you need is this moment right here. What more could you be asking for? So God sends Gabriel to Zechariah, and, and Zechariah says, I need more than your promise. I need more than your promise, God. And uh, that was, that hit me this week. That was convicting for me, church. I want more than just your promise. It's not enough. I need you to like do something right now, even though it's like an angel. And I think maybe some of us can identify with that. We, a lot of times we're like, this is so foolish. This is crazy. But a lot of times we're like, I don't, your promises aren't good enough. I want something right now. And we get impatient and we question. And we're like, really? Like, can you give me something a little bit more concrete? God, I need something more than your promise. Um, so he questions. Now we're gonna read about Mary. Mary also has a question, but it's in a different vein. Uh, Mary says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? We'll get there next week. And that's more of a logistical question. I think it's reasonable because this has never happened before, like ever. So she's not like questioning the Lord. She's questioning just, well, how, how, how is this gonna happen? Zechariah is different. Um, he's saying, will this really happen? I need more. And Gabriel in verse 19 essentially is like, do you know who I am? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you to bring good news, to bring you a gospel. Um, that's what this story is all about, good news. Good news um, for doubting people good news for people in grief, good news for people walking through trials, good news for people that are longing for something that hasn't come to pass, good news for the undeserving. Um, and Gabriel gives Zechariah both a rebuke and then grace and mercy. It's kind of a back and forth. Verse 20, here's uh, the punishment, here's the rebuke. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. So the rebuke for Zechariah is that he's gonna be unable to talk. Many believe also unable to hear. Temporarily. But the grace is this. These things will, will take place. 
God will make good on his promise, even in the midst of your questions. Rebuke and grace. And another rebuke, because you did not believe my words. You didn't believe the word of God. And then more grace, which will be fulfilled in their time, verse 20. Um, and so here what we have that's being, that's being set up here at the beginning opening scene of, of Luke is one of the most, I don't know if it's, it's, it's almost funny, uh, ironic, it's just the greatest news of his entire life has just happened. The greatest moment in his, in his entire life, this thing that he was chosen for, then uh, Gabriel shows up and the word of God comes forth and the, the breaking of a new dawn, all the, all the Old Testament prophecies, it's all beginning to happen. The sun of redemption is about to be uh, rising on God's people and he can't talk about it. God closes his mouth. And there's all these people, the text tells us, they're standing outside and they want to receive what has happened. They, want to, they usually uh, would, would come out and, and the priest would say uh, the, the, the benediction uh, after they come out after doing this, the Lord be gracious and make his face shine upon you. And he can't say anything. And so they're waiting and there's this big delay because uh, all this stuff is happening in Zechariah. And they're like, what's happening in there? Something is going on in there. They realize that he comes out and he can't say anything. He can't can't speak anything that he had a vision, that something was going on. And he kept making signs to them. Can you imagine playing charades after this moment? Like, how do you try to explain the angel and then John and he's going to be, he's going to, like, they're like, I, I don't know if they're guessing. It, it was, it's almost comical. It's like the biggest moment, the most profound moment is in his entire life that God's bringing all of these wonderful things to pass and he can't say a word. God just closes his mouth. Um, he can't explain it. And we know later that he would have loved to say all that had transpired because uh, on the day when the Lord did open his mouth, when his tongue is loosed, he sings a blessing to God immediately. God changed his heart and changed his words because he's seeing it all come to pass, that God's promises are true, that he is faithful. Um, and I was thinking about this moment and it seems comical and it almost seems like kind of ridiculous, this like amazing moment, this, the truth of the goodness of God, this good news that's coming and he just wants to shout it from the rooftops but God closes his mouth until the very right time that he, that he can. And, and I was thinking, you know, God hasn't silenced our mouths but a lot of us live our lives like Zechariah, like he has. We have this incredible good news that God has given to us. We have a family of God. God is doing and moving and doing amazing things in our midst. We have the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that we're gonna be walking through, that he calls us to be on mission for, that we would be proclaimers of it, that we would be heralds of it, that we would point other people to the goodness of God, that they could come and be considered sons and daughters of God through our risen Lord Jesus Christ, that he's moving and working and he's encountered all of us as the family of faith together, that he's adopted us, that we're now saved and rescued and we're gonna be in the, and we're in the Lamb's book of life. And so many of us 
are like Zechariah and just, they don't say anything. See, it seems ironic and comical when you read it here, but then you examine your own life and you think, well, do I? Is that just kind of how I live my life? Like we're living in this story. We're recipients of the grace and of all the redemption that we're gonna be walking through and unpacking all these wonderful realities that we're now children of God and he calls us to be heralds of the truth of the goodness of the gospel and so many of us don't open our mouths of the hope we have. Church, uh, let's be people who proclaim the goodness of God to those around us. When God gives you opportunity with a neighbor, with a friend, with a family member who is far from him, we have good news. Not because we've earned it, not because uh, we've found some secret, no, but the goodness of God invaded our lives and we have the hope of the world that has crashed into our hearts, given us a new mind and a new heart and we get to share it with those around us. Don't be a mute. Use our words to share the good news. And then we read of Elizabeth in verse 24. Um, After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden. Um, So she was worshiping, she was preparing for the birth of John. Uh, She had been filled with disappointment and now it says the Lord has done something and taken away her disgrace. Um, brought her joy in the midst of her disappointment. Um, And that's how the gospel of Luke begins. That's how the curtain opens, so to speak. As Luke uh, writes this first story of redemption in in prophecy, re-entering the people of God and uh, all that God is going to do in redemption and it's good news for people who are suffering. It's good news for people who are walking through trial. It's good news for people who have been longing and waiting in hope and God shows up and brings hope. Good news for the hurting. That's the way the gospel begins. It's beautiful. So church, I believe we have a decision to make because I know that so many in this place, I speak to many of you, um, I know that even in my life, the last couple of weeks have walked through some hurt and some um, hardships. My niece was killed in a car accident. Yesterday was the memorial service and it was hard and it was heavy. Um, many of you are walking through your own trials, your own disappointments, your own hurts, your own unmet uh, hopes that you thought were gonna happen that haven't happened yet. And I think we have... Uh, a decision to make that are we gonna let our disappointments, are we gonna let our trials, are we gonna let the hurts that we all experience in very different ways, sometimes even to each other and toward each other, unfortunately, are we gonna let them turn into, will we cave to anger, into bitterness, maybe jealousy, lack of joy, and kind of hole up and turn away, or will we trust God? Will we lean in, even in the midst of the trial? 
And when we trust God and when we ask the question, how do we glorify God even in the midst of this? Because we've been given good news. Even in the midst of hurting, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of trial, church, you can cling and you can hold on to hope because our God is faithful. He does speak. He does move. He will show up in the midst of that. Don't let the things you're walking through turn you inward and turn you into just anger or bitterness. Hold on to the hope that we have in God. He is faithful. And let his goodness reach into those places in your heart where you're struggling. That's how the story in Luke begins. Hope for those who are waiting. Hope for those walking through trial. And in the end, their response and their result of the story is the glory of God. Um, church, let's pray together this morning. Lord, we, we long to be a people who no matter what we're walking through, no matter what we uh, are experiencing in our lives, maybe the trials that are coming down, maybe the, the disappointments that we're currently walking through, Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would cling to the hope that we have in a faithful God who always makes good on his promises who continue to show up, who continue to offer up our prayers, who continue to be heralds of the goodness of God in our lives because he has shown up in so many ways and you'll be faithful to do it again and again and again. So Lord, I pray that you would meet each person here this morning in the midst of whatever trial they're walking through. And Lord, you would give them and remind them of the goodness of God in the midst of trial. Lord, we thank you that the gospel story opens that way, that the curtain opens that way, and we're given hope for the hurting. Lord, may we cling to that. Meet each of us in our place of need. Lord, I pray against uh, bitterness and anger that longs to creep in and jealousy and if only I had this or if only I could have had it like this person, God, you are writing each of our stories <coughs> exactly as you have planned. And Lord, I pray, pray as we live them out and walk them out in our different seasons and different places, God, would you give us grace to cling to you and the hope that we have in Christ. You are good. We pray in Christ's name.